You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Today we start in a brand new series. We've got seven weeks in the Gospel according to John. Uh, we are a church that wants to read through the Bible. We want to take the Bible seriously, and the Bible is made up of a bunch of different books. Um, shortcut, if you've never been introduced to the Bible before, the Bible is got the story of God's plan for us and for him to know the joy of being together. It's all about what's happened, what's going to happen, and what's happening right here. Uh, and today we open what's called the Gospel according to John, one of the Gospels. There's four of these books that are very similar. They're basically a biography of the Lord Jesus when he lived and walked on this earth and lived out his earthly ministry. Uh, four Gospels, four biographies of Jesus. I really like John. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I, John is... John is pretty cool, man. John's like the psychedelic gospel. John is like the, if you like literary genius, you like John. Like if you like like metaphor and illustration, foreshadowing and like Easter eggs, you like John. If you like the little private moments that, uh, you know, that don't get the big like cinema screen, but just like what is Jesus doing in the background and you get like a little documentary snippet, you like the gospel of John. And the Gospel of John has a, a couple, like, you know, they, he uses numbers and light and dark and poetry really well. Uh, in the book of John, there's two things that we see um, that are quite unique to his biography of Jesus. One is the seven sayings of Jesus. These are the I am sayings. This is when Jesus is, based, Jesus is saying, I am God. And we did a sermon like that a couple of years ago, sermon series. You can look into that. We're now in what is called the seven signs of Jesus. Seven signs most commentators can run through, and you can pick about seven signs that John actually identifies. Now, there's a little bit of hit and miss as to, you know, which are, there's a couple that are like a little bit like, is that a sign? I don't know. But basically, it's rather than Jesus saying who he is, it's basically actions speak louder than words. And it's like, don't let me just tell you who I am. Let me show you who I am. And let me tell you, when you get to see the seven signs of Jesus, you're just like, I want to hang out with Jesus. Water into wine. Raising the dead. Healing the sick. Calming the wind and the waves. Oh, who is this guy? Jesus. Actions speak louder than words. Now, as we... Um, Crack open John 2, which is the first of his seven signs, Jesus turning water into wine. Before we dive in too deep, um, I wonder what comes to your mind when I mention Jesus. Like for who, for you, who, who is Jesus?
Like if you had to picture Jesus right now in your face, like what do you see? Do you see a man of a gentle, calm demeanor? Do you see a religious figure overbearing with rules? Do you think of a a crew of people that claim the name of the Lord Jesus yet live a life of hypocrisy that doesn't seem to reflect him in any way? Is the name Jesus a trigger word for you from past life experiences? Is the name Jesus a swear word for you in the way that you live your life and express your anger and frustration? Or is Jesus a picture of hope? Well, I... um, I can say quite confidently that whatever your picture of Jesus right now, no matter who you are, me included, whatever you think about Jesus, he's better than you think. Jesus is better than you think. He's so much better than you think. Like, I hope that you leave today. Like, my one, like, I've got a lot of goals, but my one big goal with the sermon today is just like, Jesus is, he's better than I thought he was. This Jesus guy. There's something to this Jesus guy. He's better than I thought he was. And we're in John's sign, water, turning water into wine to help us, help us explore that. So John 2, John chapter 2. The context up to this point, what's happened so far, it's only been one chapter. But let me tell you, there's a lot that's already happened in one chapter of John by this stage. Needless to say, before Jesus rocks up to this wedding with his mum and his posse of disciples, there's a lot of hype around this man, Jesus. There's a lot of hype. Jesus is trending on the socials. There's a front page that's being drafted. Who is this Jesus? Because what's going on so far Up to this point, if you were just to read John chapter 1, this is what's happened. And John, the author, has given it in a series of days. So far, we've had the testimony of a man called John, not the John who's writing, a different John. And this John, he says, he is the voice of the one calling out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord. And he says, he is among you. Just picture that. It's just like, well, there's a... God's chosen one is among you, everyone. Okay, so everyone's just like, what's going on? And then there's a moment, it says, the next day after John has just been saying, the chosen one of God, the Lord's among you, John says, oh, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is as Jesus is walking past. And John, who's baptizing people for the repentance of sin, Hey, everyone. (laughs) The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, right at that point, if you're a Jew and you've got like a familiar understanding of like Lamb of God and what that means, you're just like, wait a minute. And then John continues to say on this next day, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. And then John goes on to say, I saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove. What have you been getting up to this week? Oh, not much. Um, just saw the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and uh, saw the Holy Spirit of God just like descend from the heavens and rest upon him. Yeah, right. Okay. That's a pretty hectic week, mate. <laughs> so Jesus has now got some people like pointing him out. And then it says the next day, Jesus who's walking around, it says, Jesus, the one who Moses and the laws and the prophet wrote, Philip, one of his disciples, says to the other disciples, like, come and see Jesus. And then as these guys are hanging around Jesus, Jesus gets these two big declarations over his life, over these guys to see what he's doing on this next day. And they say, you are the son of God. And then they say, you are the king of Israel. And then we get to John chapter 2, and John just casually opens with, on the third day. So it's like, wait a minute, John, slow down. The Lord is among you. 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is the King of Israel. And by this stage, all that Jesus has done so far is just like, look, I just got wet and I got baptized by John. Like, I just haven't had a chance to, like, do anything yet. So what is the first thing he does? I'm reading John. What is the first thing that Jesus does? He goes to a wedding. He goes to a wedding. This is a crazy wedding. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So Jesus is a bit of a plus one, it seems, with his mum. She seems to have some sort of organisational role in this wedding. And says, when the wine ran out, now, socially, this is like pretty bad if you're like hosting a wedding in the ancient Near East. Like it's like, oh no, the wedding master is now kind of compromising this young couple for the rest of their married life. Because there's heaps of people at this wedding, right? And it's just like, oh yeah, I remember when you guys got married. Wine ran out at your wedding. Cheapskates. It's supposed to be a party. I can't believe it. And Jesus' mum, she comes to Jesus, is like, the wine has run out. And Jesus goes, woman, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, that's a pretty, like, wooden translation, wooden, uh, w- woman. You know, Jesus, he's, you know, he's, he's four ladies. He loves, he loves women, okay? This is like a creating distance. It's still, it's still affectionate. It's still familiar, okay? Just our Greek to English hasn't quite captured that. Jesus is for men and women. But Jesus is still, we can recognize here, he's a, he's a little bit triggered though. The wine has run out. Jesus is triggered. The wine has run out. What does this have to do with me? And then Jesus' mum, she says this. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Now, this is really interesting. Now, if you, whatever picture you had of Jesus... When Jesus rocks up to one of your parties, what do you expect him to do? You know, we've all been through high school, most of us. You know what parties are like. You know, if you're the Christian at the party, what do people assume? Party pooper. It's in my life anyway. When I was in the army, it's just like, oh, don't bring Glazy. He's got a conscience. Don't bring him out on the town. Well, he could, he could drive us home, actually. It's the only reason I was there. Jesus is at this wedding. Jesus is at this party. And what does he do? Well, firstly, he makes a whole lot of people confused. Imagine being there with his disciples. It's like, okay, um, right. Go get those six jars that hold 25 to 30 gallons of water. Purification jars. You know the purification jars? We all know what they are. Basically, you need to, the purification rites, it's like a ritual washing. You know, it's just like a ceremonial washing, getting, getting yourself ready. And Jesus is like, there's no more wine. Okay. Get the bath water. Get the bath water. And you're just like, Jesus, what? Get the bath water? What? Do... And, this, and they're like, well, his mum said, do whatever. So, and now 25 to 30 gallons, how much is that per jar, per, per one of those? It's a lot. It's over 100 litres, okay? Jerry can, 20 litres. Do you know how long it takes to fill a jerry can with a tap? You ever done that? Fill up a jerry can with a tap, just water? We had a big pile here last time. We burnt it, and we didn't have a hose that reached, and we just had jerry cans. Filling a jerry can to run back to try and control the flame felt like an eternity. 20 litres. Hurry up. We've got to run back and just control this fire. It's okay. We're all still here, okay? The, the building's here. Now, Jesus, like, fill six of these things, 100 litres. So the servants are just like, okay. like, And they don't have a tap. What are they doing? Roman aqueducts? Just like, and then they run on it back, and then they pour it in the jars. And like, what are you doing? This people are like, what are the servants doing? Filling the jars. Like, we're already here. We've already done, like, some washings. They're like, Jesus said we need to fill the bath jars. Why? They run out of wine. Oh, that makes sense. They fill the jars. 
Now, by this stage, they've got seven, about 750 litres of water. It's probably taken like half an hour. People are starting to sober up. Wedding, the wedding guest person, he's a, the, the master of the feast, he's getting a little bit more nervous. By this stage, you know, he's been able to say, oh, no, just have, just have some more of the canapes. We're going to bring some more drinks out soon. Ugh, what am I going to do? And then Jesus says to the servants, he's like, right, they're full to the brim. Tells us, full to the top. Now, draw some of the water out and take it to the master of the feast. Now, if you're a disciple right now, he's just like, what? Does, what, does the wedding, does, the, does he need a bath or something? Like, what's So they've run out of wine and he's bringing water from the jar to the master of the feast. I do not understand what you are doing, Jesus. But his mum said, just do whatever he says. And this is what happens. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know how to become wine. Just hear that last bit. What happened to the water? It wasn't some cute little trick with some food colouring in the bottom of a glass cup. It became wine. The water had become wine. Like the water had become wine. And check this out. The master goes, and he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. <laughs> This is the first of his signs that Jesus did at Galilee. When Jesus rocks up in your life, he brings something better. This is who Jesus is. When Jesus rocks up at the party, the party gets better. This is who Jesus is. Your life up to this point, the poo wine. When Jesus rocks up, the good wine. And how much wine? 750 litres of it. Jesus brings the wine. How many, how many bottles is that? It's roughly about 750 litres. 950 bottles of wine. Like we've, you know... I've been to a few sort of dinner parties and I've had people come over to my place, you know, and people will bring a bottle of wine, you know, and then sometimes people, they're just like, they bring out two bottles of wine, like, whoa, the party, party, party feels like it's getting, and then three bottles, like, man, like just, now just imagine Jesus at this point, just rocking up to the party, they've run out of wine, it's just like, don't worry guys, got to cover it, just boom, and a boop, and a boop, and a boop, and a boop, and he's still going, you know, 700 bottles in. Jesus brings the wine, the good wine. Now, this isn't advocating. Now, side note, footnote, important to hear. This isn't saying people get drunk. Jesus comes and rocks up into your life and you just go get blotto. Uh-uh. No. In the Bible, it says later on, do not be filled with, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something else that Jesus gives for us to have this joy and this um, Life that people often try to look for in an overindulgence in alcohol. So don't get drunk on wine. But wine is a picture in the ancient Near East of joy and festivity. And it's what they would have at their gatherings so that people could enjoy themselves. Like a bit of wine's good, right? You can all enjoy a good glass of wine. Most of us. Not all of us. I just Okay, just a couple. Just me then. Just me. Okay, I don't mind. Don't mind a glass. Glass and a half. But when Jesus rocks up, the party gets better. When Jesus enters in, things are better. When you listen to someone that says, do what Jesus says, even though it seems incredibly weird, like filling up jars for half an hour, things get better. The obedience to Jesus leads to abundance in life. Now, this story, this account, this first sign that's going on in this, there's so much that we could talk about to unpack from this. There's a lot that we can take from this wedding to learn about Jesus, but this is what I just want to think about two wine-related thoughts as we continue to unpack this story. Two wine-related thoughts. Jesus is better. He spares us from two awful wines. And he gives us two better wines. 
This is what I want you to think of when we think about John chapter 2 today. Jesus will spare you from two awful wines and he'll give you two better wines. He'll replace those wines. He'll substitute those wines. Welcome to City on Hill Surf Coast. We're talking about wine. What are the two wines Jesus would spare us of? The first wine that Jesus would spare these people of at this wedding and he would spare us of in this world is the wine of this world. The wine of this world. I'm talking metaphorically. I'm talking illustratively. The wine of this world. And that is a wine that runs out. A wine that runs out. See, what does normal wine and the wines of this world offer to us, offer to us today? Just, just take actual wine, you know. What does it offer to that party? You bring a bottle of wine and people often when they overindulge, they're looking as they drink that wine for some form of temporary happiness. A little extra boost, aren't they? Get the wine in. End of the day, grab a glass of wine. They're looking for some laxity in their civility. You know, people are like, oh, I can only have fun if I get on a few drinks. So that's world wine. People are looking for a, uh, people, they're going to get a headache the next day. And the, world, the wine of this world, it'll run out. The wine of this world will run out. And it doesn't have to just be physical wine. Everything we all try to fill our lives with to distract us from pain for a slight little dopamine hit, everything is trying to help, everything that is trying to help us be a little bit worried or to feel a little bit more secure, all of these things are like the wines of this world and they will eventually run out and they'll leave us feel hurting. They will run out. The wine of this world will run out. It will run out. Your hobbies, your distractions, your toys, your spendings, your addictions, your proclivities, your efforts, your wonderful job, it'll eventually all run out. It'll run out. Those things are, many of those things are good and they're given from God to be enjoyed and for us to understand more of God's character, but they aren't meant to be the thing that we solely rely on for our joy and happiness because they will run out. And that's not the purpose for what they were made. And they will run out. Eventually, those things of this world, those world wines that will leave us hurting. And Jesus wants to spare you of that. He wants to spare you of, from that hurt. He wanted to spare the bride and groom of this, wedding, of this wedding feast. He wanted to spare the master of the feast. He spares them. He wasn't only saving them from, you know, Jesus in his later signs, you know, he saves people spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And the beauty and the love of Jesus is his first miracle. His first sign is like in this little unknown back alley wedding that just, you know, it's just got a crowd of people and he cares about the social integrity of these people. Isn't that beautiful? Like Jesus' heart. Just to be like, my hour has not come yet, but I'll help you out. I'm here. I love you guys. And Jesus, when he comes in, he gives a new wine, he gives a better wine, and he gives lots of it. <laughs> he gives lots of it. Jesus wants to spare you from the worldly wine that will run out. Do you know what your worldly wine is? Maybe it is actual wine, and then this sermon is pretty hard-hitting, so come for prayer afterwards. But what is, it in that is, what is that thing that you run to? To find your joy, to distract yourself, just to soften the blow. There's a better wine. Jesus would spare you from that wine which runs out. And there's another wine that he spares us of. There's another wine he spares us of. It's the wrath wine. The wrath wine. You see, there's a pain that we all can, will face in this world when we realize that the things that we've been pursuing will come up empty and don't actually bring us any lasting, meaningful joy. 
There's, a thing, there's things that will happen when we seek to find the love of the creator in the things that he's created, and that will hurt when we discover the bottoms, the bottoms of those things. But there's something that's going to hurt us a whole lot more. And that isn't, that isn't only when the, the wine of this world runs out, it's when the, the wine of the wrath of God comes down. The Bible frequently uses wine, the image of wine, to pit, help us picture the wrath of God. And in what circumstances? Well, we can read in Psalm 75. It says, It is God who executes judgment by putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord, as he executes judgment, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours it out on all the wicked of the earth. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to its dregs. There is a wine of wrath from God. Jeremiah 25, the prophet Jeremiah, he speaks of this wine as well. He says, thus, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. And that did happen after Jeremiah prophesied that, that happened. The wine of God's wrath was poured out over those nations and there was a judgment. And there still is a prophecy that hangs over our world today. We read in the book of Revelation, talking about the wine of God's wrath still to come. It says, there came, Revelation 16, there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunders, and a severe earthquake. This is looking in. This is peering behind the curtain, the future of our world. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind had been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split in three parts and the cities and the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. You see, God is, um, God is good. God is holy. God is righteous. God is pure. And to keep something pure means that you keep all other impurities away, isn't it? For that to be, for that to remain. And God is not only those things, he's also creator. Have a look around. It's got the fingerprints of God all over it. Your own body, your own heart, the breath in your lungs. All these things hold together because of the power of Jesus Christ. And God is creator, God is maker, which means God is owner. God is head and God is in charge and God is king. And the Bible is very clear that it says if you're going to ignore the king whilst you take up residence in this world, you're eventually going to get deported. You're eventually going to get sent out of the king's land. And that deportation, that sending away from the presence of the king because you have not seen fit to pay respect to the giver for all of the good gifts, that's going to come with you having to make amends for what you unlawfully and ungratefully used of the king. And that's on us all. I'll put my hand up first to say that I've enjoyed things in this world and I've enjoyed them in ways that was not honoring to God. Sought things not for God's good, but for my own good. Served the God of S-E-L-F, self. Had a mindset in this world which was constantly me, 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 me. It's not very honouring of God, is it? It's not very loving. Certainly didn't influence my actions in a very honouring way. Often was not a man that was kind, was patient, sought to revel in goodness, selflessness, self-control. And if that's the way I'm going to behave in the king's land, then the king is going to say, well, you're out. 
And the Bible says that we're all guilty of this, not just me. And it's at this point here, I say, as we're all feeling this very heavily, I hope, don't forget about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's better than you think. You see, God's people were very aware of their of the lordship and kingship of God. And they had what they used to have. They used to have animal sacrifices. And they used to have ceremonial washing. They would fill up big pots and have ceremonial washing to symbolize cleansing from sin and God's forgiveness as they would participate in those sacrifices and in those washings. And this is where I say right here, don't forget about Jesus. Because you see, Jesus, he came to save us not only from the world, from the world wine, he also comes to save us from the emptiness, from that emptiness and also from the wine of wrath. Because do you know what Jesus has done as he thinks about the wine of wrath? Do you know that Jesus' life was spent thinking about the wine of wrath? Do you know that? We can see that because even in our reading today, Jesus is triggered having that on his mind. You still got John chapter 2 open in front of you? Still got your hand out there? What's it say? The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Do you know what that means? Someone's mentioned wine to Jesus and said the wine has been run out. And Jesus like, whoa, wine? What are you talking about? My hour's not yet come. Talking about wine being poured out. My hour's not yet come. Why are you talking about the wine at this wedding feast? Jesus is triggered here. Why is he triggered? Just follow along with the life of Jesus for a moment. I've got three readings from the Gospels. Jesus says, my soul is troubled. This is, he says, my soul is troubled. This is leading up to his crucifixion on the cross when he dies. Okay, this is the context. Leading up to his crucifixion on the cross where Jesus dies. It says, my soul is troubled, needless to say. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, if it was this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The hour. What is this hour? Mark 14, Jesus, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto, even to death. Remain here and watch. Right now, they're in the garden of Gethsemane. The, not the night that Jesus has been betrayed to go to the cross to die. And it says, going a little farther, he's walking along. Jesus falls to the ground and he prays. He says, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Can you see what the hour is yet? Do you know what the hour is? One more, John 17. Jesus, he's at the end of his emotional turmoil, sweating drops of blood as he prepares himself to go and die on a cross. And he says, after this, Jesus says, he looked towards heaven and he prayed. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And it's at that very moment, a posse comes in armed with torches and swords and weapons and takes him away to go get beaten, flogged, mocked, accused, ridiculed, and to die the most unfair death in the history of humankind. What is the hour? The hour is the most significant moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. It is the crucial moment. It is the crucifixion moment, his crucifixion and the fulfillment of his purpose on earth. 
And so you see what this means? When Jesus hears about wine at this wedding, he's like, whoa, my hour's not yet come. He thinks of his blood that's going to flow from his head, his back, his hands, and his side like wine. And Jesus thinks of the wrath of God, the cup of God's wrath, that is going to be the force behind the spilling of that blood. And we've already heard it this morning, haven't we? God has sent Jesus to set us free from the slavery of, to the worldly wine, hasn't he? From the slavery to stuff and bondage to image and obsession with others' opinion. Wine is a trigger word for Jesus. He's reminded. He's reminded of his purpose. He is the one who is going to save the world from the, from the wrath wine. And he goes and gets pierced in our place. The prophet Isaiah said, and Jesus knew this scripture, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus allows the wine of God's wrath to be poured out upon him to spare us so it's not poured out on us. This is what Jesus does. Jesus is better than you think. What he has spared, what he has spared these people from. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake, for our sake, for your sake, for your sake, for your sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin." who knew no sin. He didn't know any sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You know what that's saying? God treated Jesus in the way he should have treated us. And Jesus does that so that we could be treated by God in the way that God should have treated him. Jesus is better than you think. Offering this Divine exchange, trading places. Jesus offers to this world when Jesus rocks up, if you're going to do what he says, if you're going to do what he says, he says, I'm going to take away the two wines, the two bad wines. I'm going to take away the, world, the worldly wine, which sucks. It's not going anywhere anyway. You're welcome. And then he's going, to give, he's going to take away the wine of the wrath of God and he's going to replace himself with us. The wine, is poured, the wine of the wrath is poured out on him in order that... In order that, two better wines might be poured out on us. See, the glory of Jesus. Jesus is better than you think. Not only what he spares us from, but what he then gives us instead. Jesus is better than you think. You see, Jesus takes away worldly wine. He takes away wrath wine. And then he's just like, all right, I've got two better replacements for you. Do you know what they are? It's not just a little upgrade. Everything that was coming to Jesus, everything that Jesus has becomes ours. And what's coming to Jesus? What's coming to the Son of God? What is going to go to the one who lived a perfectly righteous life, never committing any wrong, who perfectly honoured and glorified God? Like, what, what gets given to the head of the class? What is saved specifically for the valedictorian of human history? What is in store for God's son, whom God himself says, with whom I am well pleased? Well, Jesus gives that up to give it to us. And the first of those two better wines, the first of those is presence. Presence. And I'm not talking Christmas presents, although it is a present. It is a gift. It is freely given by God. It's not by works so that no one may boast. It's by God's grace. It's from mercy, from his love. But it's not present as in the thing you can hold. It's presence in having God with you here and now. And we talked about the purity of God. Incompatible to hang out with those that are going to constantly push him aside and live a life of just not approved by God. And if you've received Jesus and if you believe that 
he will take away the world wine and the wrath wine. Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to take the wine. I'm going to give you something else instead. Do you want what he wants to give you? He wants to give you his Holy Spirit. He wants to give you his spiritual presence in this life now. Do you know that? Like Jesus is better than you think. He wants to give you the gift of his spirit. He wants to give you his promised companionship, power, and peace. The old wine, that's like temporary happiness, man. Temporary, runs out. New wine, Holy Spirit wine, joy inexpressible and filled with glory, Peter says. How you doing? How's your week been? Uh, well, um, how you feeling? Oh, Joy, inexpressible and filled with glory. I actually can't articulate it because it's inexpressible and I'd love to be able to show you it, but it's like, it's like filled with glory. That's what I've got from Jesus this week. <laughs> Those that have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's not a fear of wrath. It's the courage to face the world in such a way that says, if God is for me, who can be against me? That's what Jesus gives. He's better than you think. Those that have received the Holy Spirit, those that are sealed by the blood of Christ. You can say along with the Apostle Paul, and he says, but whatever gain I had, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Right. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Because you see, what happens when you receive the Holy Spirit? What's going on for you to be able to receive the Holy Spirit? Jesus has, God has cleansed you. Jesus has cleansed you. God has made you holy. He's made you holy, righteous, pure, blameless, so his Holy Spirit can be in you and with you and beside you, before you and after you, and to carry you through life. That's why he's called the Holy Spirit. Not called the righteous spirit, the loving spirit, the peace spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. A new wine, 2 Timothy, said God gave us a spirit, not a fear of power and love and self-control. I'll take that wine over the earthly wine, over the worldly wine. You see, the old wine, the worldly wine, you'll end up with a headache the next day if you overindulge in that stuff. But that's not what you get when you get the new wine. You get Romans 12, do not be conformed to the image of this world, but you'll get transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing, you may know what is the will of God what is good, acceptable, and perfect. What is God's will for your life? You have the Holy Spirit, you can figure that out. See, Jesus takes the wine of wrath and he does so saying, whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus takes the wine of wrath and he says, for my, it is my Father's will that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. The experience of Jesus' early disciples and of even many people in this room today, they know that if you receive Jesus, if you believe in his name, you are given the right to become a child of God. Jesus is better than you think. Simply believing in him, trusting in him, Trusting his promise that he says, look, if you put your confidence in me to fight on your behalf, you'll be okay and I'll give you the spirit. No wrath for you. Good wine for you. Do you believe this? It's as, it's as clear as when he says it to Martha. Before We're going to get to this sign. Before he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me, though he die, yet he may live. Do you believe this? And everyone who dies and believes in me will never, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus is better than you think. So the first one you get is presence. Presence. Presence with God through the Holy Spirit. And that presence is so good. 
so good. The psalmist, he says, he says to God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Presence. That's what you can have in the new wine. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, the psalmist says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire, upon, inquire in his temple. Do you want that presence? Like we love beautiful stuff, don't we? We love here. We're this so beautiful. We all want to stand, take a photo, the ocean. It's beautiful. It makes us feel good. And it does. It's great. How much more beautiful is God? How much more do you want to take a selfie with God? But we don't because we forget that Jesus is better than we think in what he offers, what he takes away and what he gives. Lastly, oh, so much more to say. I'll skip that. It's too good. Okay. The second wine. There's a second wine Jesus gives. Do you know what that is? The second wine. Second wine. It's amazing. It's going to be amazing. And the second wine, Jesus hasn't even drunk it yet. He's holding out for it as well. The second wine, it's at the feast of another wedding. It's at the feast of another wedding, the greatest wedding. It's when Jesus, the groom, is fully united and the marriage is consummated in the glory of heaven with his people, the church. It's the second wine. And that's where right now we've got a wine, which means that we can have the presence of God by his Holy Spirit, the leading of his word through scripture, and we can have the fellowship with one another and we, have a, we live by faith, but we don't live by sight, do we? We live by faith, we don't live by sight. And then the second wine is sight, the embrace. To see the smile of God upon our face and no longer have to imagine it, no longer just taking his word and believing it and feeling it, but actually seeing it and enjoying it. And fully getting a taste of it. See, Revelation 19, Revelation, epic book, not only talks about the wrath to come, talks about the wedding to come for those that want in. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Basically, it's the biggest concert you've ever walked past. You're like, how do I get in there? There's like, it's like stuff going on. It's like there's got a good line array system on scaffolding. That's, they must have got Joash to do the uh, sound for that, for that event. And it's they say, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult. These are like positive words, guys. <laughs> These are positive words. Give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb. The marriage of the lamb has come. There's that language again. And the bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to close herself with fine linen, bright and pure. The new wine, the second wine that Jesus wants to give you is the new life wine, the resurrection wine, the eternal wine. We drink in the presence of God and one another, now completely free from the presence of sin and evil. I want to drink that wine. I want to know a place that is free from all impurity. And I want to be able to stand there and behold the glory and the beauty of God and to know also by faith and by sight that in his presence is fullness of joy. And do you know what Jesus does? He comes to give that. So I wonder what comes to your mind when you think about Jesus. What comes to your mind when you think about Jesus? I hope that at least now you can see that as he looks at you, he's at the very least smiling. Hands out wide. 
no longer for the sacrifice of sin. He's taken that wrath, but now to embrace and call you home and to say, let me spare you from those poo wines and let me give you the good wines. Will you receive it? Will you receive the good wine? If you never have or you'd like to run back to it, what do you do? Well, at the wedding feast, Jesus' mum said, do whatever he tells you. Now, we're not Catholics in this place. We're not going to run to the Virgin Mary to try and find our good advice for living. But what if we run to God the Father? At the moment of Jesus' transfiguration, when he shines out bright and Moses and Elijah rock up and they're just like, it's Jesus. And the voice comes down from heaven, God the Father. And he says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So if you're going to listen to Jesus so you can have those two wines, what does Jesus say? Very simply, he says, rethink everything you once thought about me. Rethink it all. Unlearn some stuff. Stop listening to what other people say about me and come and let me speak for myself and let me show you what I can do. Explore me. Follow me. Be amazed by me. Be drawn, to, be drawn toward me and let your soul get to the point of realizing you need to be rescued by me so that you can have a real relationship with God through me. Rethink everything. And the word Jesus used there is repent. Turn around. Back to Jesus. God loves you. He wants to set you free. He wants to bring you near. He wants you to experience his smile. He wants you to hear his affirmation to you, to you whom he made. And he sent Jesus for that purpose. Jesus, things are only going to get better with Jesus. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.